Join Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin for a new monthly edition of the Capital Ideas Podcast. It's your look inside one of the world's largest asset managers. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Invest 30 minutes today. American Funds Distributors, Inc. From Silicon Valley to Wall Street, the promise and perils of artificial intelligence are playing out on the world stage. But what will the next phase of AI adoption look like? Which companies from big tech to startups will dominate? And where do the risks and unintended consequences lie? I'm Emily Chang. Join me at Bloomberg Tech in San Francisco, May 9th, to answer many of the industry's burning questions. Alongside SNAP's Evan Spiegel, Xbox President Sarah Bond, OpenAI's Brad Lightcap, top researcher Dr. Fei-Fei Li of Stanford, and many more. More details and just a few tickets left at Bloomberg.com slash TechSF. Let's get to our guest, Martin Henneke, Asia Investment Director, St. James's Place Wealth Management. Mr. Henneke, it's nice to have you in our studios. It's been a while. Um, listen you. to this line. Good drivers don't increase their speed as they get closer to their destination. So that's a comment from Mike Faroli at J.P. Morgan on the Fed and inflation. It seems to suggest we're getting there. Don't get reckless. Does that work for you? I'm betting that doesn't work for you, Mark. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, you, you started off by saying I might have some spice in you. Yeah, so I'll, let's, I'll, let's have some of the spice. I'll Come certainly on. try uh, uh, try my best. But firstly, just to answer this particular question, I would ag- agree that most likely uh, we are going to see the 0.75% increase uh, when you look at the uh, options markets, the stir prob- probability is 26%. So that's not exactly a very revolutionary uh, prediction, I would say. But I think... Um, you know, firstly, the the events that we saw Tuesday uh, should be a good reminder just for investors to be cautious. Generally, you know, Brian, I've talked about, you know, the risk of not using too much leverage for a long time. You know that very well. And you can sort of see, you know, the reasons for that, particularly in the last uh, few months, why that can be quite risky on both ends, the non-predictability of markets, particularly short term, and then the rising a funding cost, of course, if you do leverage. The other thing is know your volatility tolerance, don't speculate short-term, diversify, etc., etc., etc. But then, I, you know, do I really think the Fed will hike uh, very far from here? You know, when you look at the, term, uh, the Fed terminal funds rate, uh, which is the market prediction right now of where they hike to the top, it's 4.377, and I actually doubt that they can go much further than that, uh, uh, at least not for any prolonged period of time. And the reason for that is not even necessarily the economy or potential recession risk, it's but the, the high debt levels. Yeah. And again, it's something we have talked a lot about too. But actually, mm-hmm. Brian, for the first time I've seen it uh, being said by the Federal Reserve last month, there was a report out by the Federal Reserve um, of the uh, Federal Reserve Bank of Chicago, August 19th, they're actually basically saying in that report that the Fed alone can stop inflation. I can give you a quote here. Trend inflation is fully controlled by monetary authority only when public debt can be successfully stabilized, et cetera, et cetera. If you read this, okay. you know, through the line. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Hold on to that comment. Juliet's got a question for you. Yeah, Martin, I just wanted to get more of a, a broad question. I know you said diversify, but, but where we actually see equities move when you've got uh, their forecast coming through from the Fed of these potentially more aggressive hikes. Do you believe, like Carlyle Group does, that it's a good time to, to jump back in? Yes, 
That's a, you know, the multi-million dollar question, I believe. What you over, oversee is when there's a strong inflation number, the knee-jerk reaction of the market has always been to sell off any risk assets. And many of those assets are actually the same that are medium to long-term inflation-proof assets as well. I think what's not really priced in is that the Fed might eventually lose this inflation fight that we might not have seen the end of it because high deficits are also an inflation driver and it's been something that's building even long um, before uh, COVID. And equities, generally speaking, I mean, there's differences in different sectors, short term, long term, but generally speaking, equities is one asset uh, that tends to be more inflation proof than, say, cash and bonds yeah. as property okay. and commodities, etc. You like to get in the weeds on us, but I think one counter argument is the Fed will not lose this battle. It can't lose the battle. It will raise interest rates until it shuts down inflation, and they can't print money. Uh, Doug, they're talking about the weak yen potentially inflating those Japanese uh, imports. What's your view on the potential intervention we could see, given that precursor yesterday with the rate check that the Nikkei was reporting, given this very, very weak yen that we're seeing? Well, that's a good question. I would just say, again, something quite interesting out of the box here, if I may, which is that for investors, it may not actually matter that much. And here's why. I mean, firstly, when you look at Japanese equity valuations uh, within Japan, uh, we, are, we are very, very low. And then as an international investor, you would get the, the yen discount. Now, if there's an intervention and there's a yen rebound, one might capture some of that gain in this way. But if not, I'd say ultimately... Um, the low yen uh, uh, resulting in uh, corporates in Japan having higher profits, particularly where there's any export exposure. And as I mentioned earlier, sort of as an asset class, equities generally um, is an asset class that can float on inflation better relative to to others. So I think actually uh, Japanese equities are quite an interesting uh, uh, area to look at. If if one can stomach a degree of volatility, I would actually look at uh, having some exposure. One more fact in Japan is still at this moment, um, there's not that great a fear of inflation. It's just only slowly starting. You see, the PPI is 9%. It's, It's going to feed its way through. It's not as strong as in the US or in Europe. Eventually, it's going to come, though, the, the strong import numbers that you yeah. have seen are an indication. But so far, most of the Japanese household assets are all in cash or very, very cautious products. And I think as they get more inflation conscious, some of that is going to move back to property and or equities. Ah, that could be good. That's an interesting angle. Uh, I know you've been pretty positive on China as well. Um, valuations for Hong Kong and Chinese equities uh, are quite low. Uh, there is the policy risk, but then with valuations this low, are you getting paid to take that risk? Um, in a nutshell, uh, I would suggest so. Certainly with someone with exposure uh, that one has got already, uh, I don't think you now giving in uh, now or giving up now is uh, is a particularly good timing. <laughs> and as part of a diversified portfolio, I think, yeah, there are really, really great opportunities. Policy risk, I don't see it so much in terms of the regulatory side anymore. In fact, we have seen approvals just very recently of new gains by Tencent and NetEase, which might indicate the long-awaited regulatory easing finally really It might not even be Chinese through. policy. It might be U.S. policy. Look what happened with biotech the other day. 
Oh, yes, uh, absolutely. Global geopolitical risk, global geopolitical trade is a massive risk. Uh, diversification is always one of the keys, you know, for investing, if, if uh, uh, only uh, for that reason. But regionally, you actually, and this has been, you know, not talked about much uh, anymore recently, the RCEP trade deal is just only getting underway this year. Uh, only uh, earlier this week, Indonesia actually uh, ratified finally uh, the RCEP deal. And while, you know, we may see anti-globalization sort of between East and West, within the Asian bloc, there might actually be more trade happening. So there are both risks and opportunities. But overall, I think, yes, there are definitely good opportunities there. You mentioned Indonesia there. Is, is that an attractive play? Is ASEAN an attractive play? Well, I wouldn't necessarily want to pinpoint too much individual econ uh, economies, countries. Often it depends really on where you find good businesses, and that might, re might really be interregional as well. Nor would I necessarily say one particular sector is better than another. Um, you know, sometimes whenever uh, there's a very popular story out there, whether that's biotech or technology, over the last few years you see also risks uh, might be uh, particularly high. So we really look at it more from a bottom-up perspective company uh, rather than uh, making a macroeconomic play in individual countries. So does that also make it hard to recommend a sector or some sort of industry? Yes, absolutely. I mean, in my 20 years experience, generally speaking, whenever we see high demand for any particular sector or, or country, very, very often, not necessarily always, so you can't counter-rely on it 100% either, um, but, you know, for example, uh, I mentioned China technology, uh, then you, you see many other areas whenever there's the highest demand, uh, usually you see a very sharp drop uh, afterwards. So I would just say one should be balanced in terms of style. It's very important, you know, not uh, neglecting styles that might have underperformed for a while. We have seen that with value this year, but now also growth is getting more attractive generally. Martin, thank you for coming into our Hong Kong studio. Martin Henneke, Asia Investment Director, St. James's Place Wealth Management, with us in Hong Kong here on Bloomberg Daybreak Asia. From Silicon Valley to Wall Street, the promise and perils of artificial intelligence are playing out on the world stage. But what will the next phase of AI adoption look like? Which companies from big tech to startups will dominate? And where do the risks and unintended consequences lie? I'm Emily Chang. Join me at Bloomberg Tech in San Francisco, May 9th, to answer many of the industry's burning questions. Alongside SNAP's Evan Spiegel, Xbox President Sarah Bond, OpenAI's Brad Lightcap, top researcher Dr. Fei-Fei Li of Stanford, and many more. More details and just a few tickets left at Bloomberg.com slash TechSF.